Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is love. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and it's kind of one of the, the, the ending point or the capstone of our message this morning. But before I, got started, before I get started, I have a couple questions that I need to ask. So I'm going to come out and ask some people some questions, and we'll see if you guys have answers, okay? So now everybody looks terrified. Who am I going to come, come talk to? That's okay. We have this set up already, so I knew who I'm talking to, so you don't have to be afraid. So Creed, what's love? Love is basically... Um, uh, <laughs> what do I say? That's a good <laughs> question. That's a good question. Love is kind of what you think it is, basically. Okay. Maybe. Okay. All right. That's, that's true, right? Sometimes we create uh, those definitions ourselves. So what's, what do you think love is, Matthew? Uh, when you really have feelings for someone or anything and it's true happiness, that's my opinion when, when okay. you say what is love. All right. Excellent. Thank you. So this morning, the question is, what's love got to do with it? It's a great Tina Turner song. I'm sure many of you know it. I'll, I'll spare you singing it this morning. But I really was tempted to ask Valerie to sing it for me. So I think she'd do a great Tina Turner impersonation. So what does love have to do with it? Last week, we went through Easter. We celebrated the resurrection. But we also took time to remember the cross and the death of Jesus. But what was it all about? Was it simply an act so that we could be forgiven? It was all about love. You see, God is love, and he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated that resurrection so we could experience that same new life from a life separated from God because of sin. We celebrated new life so that we could experience everything God has for us. So we could experience the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has with the Father. This morning, do you know and understand what that love is all about? Because if we want to understand God, if we want to know God, we need to understand first that He is above everything else, love. And everything he does is motivated from love. So I want to share a couple stories with you this morning. The first one is from when I was a teenager. Now both these stories are similar, but you'll notice a very striking difference between a few years years in my life. So when I was a young teenager, I had the most amazing youth pastor. His name was Pastor Todd. And he had an incredible impact on my life. He taught me what it meant to be a Christian. He showed me what a Christian was like and what Christianity was all about. And not only did that, but he gave me opportunities to learn how to share my faith. And so one day, he took me to Niagara Falls, New York, and in this huge park where lots of people walk around. It's a beautiful day. 
and we had this thing called the Heaven Survey. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but it was a, a simple tool that was designed to walk up to random people and simply ask them this question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Sounds like a pretty simple question, right? And so we spent the day walking up and asking people this question. Well, something you've got to understand about me in my teen, early teenage years, I was excited about being a Christian. I was passionate about being a Christian. And I read and read and read. Every night before I went to bed, I would read myself to sleep. I read my Bible constantly. So I knew everything. Okay? I knew everything I needed to know as a Christian at that point. And I had memorized everything, and I could argue everything, and I could tell everybody what they needed to know, what they needed to hear, and what they needed to do about it. But one of the things that I didn't realize at that point in time is that nobody cares what I have to say if I don't care about them. And so (laughs) I did a great job of arguing. I did a great job of telling people what they needed to do and telling people what they needed to hear. And I failed miserably. Not one person responded positively to anything I said that day. And so my youth pastor kind of took me aside and and said, you know, you're doing all right. But it's not about arguing. It's not about what you know. And it's not about what they need to know. And he began to tell me more about what it means to share my faith. So fast forward a few years to college. So I was with a, a team of, of students, my friends of mine, because we all took this class together, and our, and our uh, teacher. And we took a trip to Toronto, Canada, with the intention of working with street kids. Well, on our way to Canada, it doesn't really make sense, but we were, in, we were, I guess, kind of, but we were in Indiana. We drove up to Chicago, then we drove up to Flint, Michigan, and then we went to Toronto. But along the way, we stopped in different places to do some different ministry. But our focus was working with street kids in Toronto, Canada. Well, when we got there, we, we hadn't really done anything to prepare for this. Uh, you know, we were ministry, most of us were ministry students. We were supposed to know what we were doing, and so we were just kind of set free. But something we learned very, very quickly on the first day, and, and this was, was somewhat surprising to me, Toronto is one of the most evangelized cities around Thousands and thousands of Christians, Christian ministries, churches ascend on that city every year to witness to people. One, it's a fairly safe city, so it's pretty easy to walk around. It's a very clean city, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of kids on the street. But this is what most people do. They, will, they grab a track and they walk down the street, and they just throw it at someone and say, hey, have a nice day, and they walk on. And as we began to talk more and more with these kids, that was their only experience. Some of them would pass out food. Someone would eat, some of them would give them money. But what we discovered very quickly was all they were doing was giving them something and walking away. No one was taking the time to sit down next to them and talk to them. So as a team, we decided that first day, that first night, that we were going to do something different. We were going to figure out how to actually talk to them and get their stories. 
So we packed, we went to the store and we bought a whole bunch of food and we packed brown paper bags full of food and we decided we would hand these out. But in order to hand them out, we would sit down and eat with them or we'd talk to them, just sit and talk to them while they were eating. And so the next several days, that's what we did over and over again. We sat down, began to ask them their stories began to ask what was going on in their lives. Why were they on the streets of Toronto? What got them there? Now, I want you to understand, the kids that we were working with, and I call them kids because that's what they were. Most of these kids were between 10 and 18. And their lives were broken. That's why they were on the streets. Two brothers one, I think, was, if I remember correctly, was, was like nine, and the other one was 11 or 12. And they had run away from home together because they were being abused. Incredible story. But that story was repeated over and over and over again. There was even a kid there who was about 15, 16 years old from Florida, of all places. But he had come to Toronto because he was running away from home, but he, he had heard that Toronto was a safe city for kids to be on the street. Now that's all relevant because most of these kids, as we began to talk to them and ask about their stories, we learned that they were basically broken. That these kids, in order to survive on the street, they were dirty. They were smelly. They were angry. They were tormented. And most of them were bought and sold. It's incredible how many people, day after day, would simply walk by them and think that a track or some words would make a difference. Because what I learned on that trip and what we all learned was those kids don't care anything about what we have to say or share if we don't first let them know that we care about them. And that's what made the difference. And that simple experience completely changed the way I interact with people, the way I talk to people, and the way I approach people in life, and the way I share my faith with people. Because I know nobody cares what I have to say unless I first show them that I care about them. And so this morning, we are going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because what I want you to know is God gives us a clear understanding of what love really is. And that is what he wants us to show people, even more than the words we can say, even more than any preaching we can do, any more than any prophecy we can say, any miracle we can perform, because without love, those things are meaningless and worthless this morning. So make sure you, you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, because I want to read this with you this morning. But as we do, I want you to ask yourself this question, what is love? So Matthew and Creed both gave us kind of a definition. Yours may vary depending on your experience, but is it an ushy-gushy feeling that we get? Is it just some sensation or is it some cavalier word 
that we throw around because we don't have a better word to use. Well, I know that my love for French fries is pretty superficial. I don't know about you. I love French fries. I would eat them every day, all day long, especially when you put some cheese and bacon on there or maybe even some barbecue sauce. French fries are amazing. You can eat them in so many different ways. And the worst ones are Chick-fil-A because I just can't stop eating those things. Those waffle fries, oh, they're amazing. (laughs) But you know, you can't even compare that love for French fries with my love for my family. Because I wouldn't die for French fries. But I would certainly die for my family. In the same way, I love steak and I love cheesecake. And I really love the Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. That's like the, like the crown jewel of cheesecake. Have you ever been there? Those things are like this big. And it's truly amazing. Hmm, I wonder if I would die for that. It's really, really good. (laughs) But you know what? Again, it's meaningless. But would I die for my family in a heartbeat? And all of us would do that. So this morning, which kind of love is ruling your life? Which kind of love is dictating the way in which you do your life every day? Paul gives us a clear description of what this love is supposed to look like. So let's start in verse 13 in, in chapter 13 verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I, could, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the, pro- the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become youth- useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. 
Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So what is love? And what is love not? That's the question this morning. And Paul very, very clearly lays out some very specific instructions and understandings of what love is and what love is not. You see, in God's view, in his own very character, he is love. And this list of things is his character. This is who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. And it is who he wants us to be as well. I want you to hear this this morning. Love is not what we know or what we can accomplish. And this world so desperately wants us to tell us that. Love is who we are and how we express God to others. Love is not what we feel. Love is who we are. At least, love is what we should and who we should be in Christ. You see, in God's view of the world, love comes first. And love is everything. So let's quickly go through this checklist that Paul gave us. He gave us a very clear list, one that is often difficult to read and difficult to listen to, but no less important. Because we want to know what love is and what love is not. Paul told us very clearly, love is patient and it is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the very definition of God's view of us. This is how he views us. This is how he loves us. This is what he sees, and this is who he is. The question is, do we reflect that? Is that who we are becoming? So what love is? Up here you'll see two lists on one side and the other. And I want you to begin to look at yourself and say, which do I represent? What is my life being driven by? Is this the kind of love that I'm showing or is this one I'm showing? So what is love? Love is patient. First and foremost, it's patient. Love is kind. You could also say it's gentle there. Love always rejoices when the truth wins. That is so important. How often do we celebrate when the truth wins instead of complain when it does not? Love is never giving up. So easy sometimes to give up. But when we truly love, we do not. And remember this. When has God given up on you? Never. And so if God never gives up on you, then we should never give up on anyone because if God was going to give up on somebody, it was certainly me. And he didn't. So I know he's never going to give up on anyone else. Love is never losing faith. It is always hopeful and enduring in all circumstances. So if this is the list of what love is. Is this, is, is this who you are becoming in Christ? Is this how you are being made new? Is this how you are being transformed, is this is how you are being changed, the reality is that list is impossible 
on our own. There is no way we can do that except through the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life. Except through the power of God living in you. Except through Jesus transforming you and changing your life. Because we can't accomplish this on our own. It's impossible. But all things are possible through Jesus. So what love is not? So love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It doesn't record every wrong. And it does not rejoice in injustice. I know when I look at that list, I'm much better at that list than I am at the other one. But I'm getting much better every day as God works in my life. So how are you doing? How are you letting God move you from this list, which is natural, which is easy, which is what seems to be normal, and what the rest of the world is always doing? How are we doing at moving from this list for what love is not to what love is? Because what love is, is patient. It is kind. It is always rejoicing when truth wins. It is never giving up. It is never losing faith. It is always hopeful and enduring in all circumstances. And verse 8 puts an exclamation point on this. And it simply says these words, love will last forever. All the other things we do will fade. All the other things we invest in will fall away. But love will remain forever. As we walk through Paul's words, there is, it is very, very clear here what the definition of love is and what it is not. It's right there. It's as plain as day. But as easy as it looks and sounds, it is only accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Now, one of the things we've got to ask ourselves is, and we often do, I don't know about you, but I ask myself this question. All right, God, so where's the... Um, the loophole? Where's the exemption? Where's that qualification that says, if I feel like it, I can do it? Because how often do we go through life like that every day? I just don't feel like being nice today. Man, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm irritable. I deserve to be irritable. Someone was mean to me this morning. Someone didn't talk to me nice. I didn't get my Cheerios. I didn't get my coffee or my caffeine, whatever way I can get it intravenously, that's what I need. I need this shot in the morning, I just put caffeine in. I'm not a morning person, but that doesn't give me the right to be irritable, to be mean, to be difficult. But man, it's hard. Because the love is not list is so easy. And for many of us, it's our default. But through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can live out what love is truly supposed to be. So verse 8 through 10 says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. And I think that's important. God gives us gifts of the Spirit, and they are wonderful, they are important, they are necessary, but they are tools. Just like this track, it's a tool. It's a wonderful tool, 
But this tool is only as good as the person who's using it. Because if the person using it has no love, then the tool is useless. In the same way, all of the gifts of the Spirit and all of your natural gifts and talents, when it comes to the work of God, are useless if you don't have love. We can have the best intentions, we can serve all we want, we can go change the world, but if we don't have love, all of that stuff is useless and meaningless. Verse 9 says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time comes of perfection, these partial things will become useless. So these are the issues of works versus love. You see, love has to come first. Yes, you have gifts and talents and we want you to use them. We encourage you to use them. We want you to learn what they are and we want you to get out there and use the tools God has given you both spiritually and naturally to make an impact in the world around you. But without love, just like back when I was a teenager, arguing with people on the street to the point of getting angry is useless without love. Today, are you going with love? Because all the tools you have, the immense, the amazing toolbox you possess because of God in your life, all those tools can do amazing things when you love people, when you love God. So number one here, simply summarizing God's word, is the gifts of the Spirit require love to be useful. Number two, our knowledge of God and the Bible are incomplete without His love. I memorized, studied, read, and read, and read the Bible over. I couldn't get enough of it as a teenager. But all those words I learned and read had zero power without God's love being in them without God's love going with them, and without me having God's love when I share it. And then love alone, love will last forever. And we know in that last verse that Chris, Chris shared, and he did a great job reading, didn't he? Yeah. Good job, Chris. Thank you for helping. Love will last forever, but faith and hope will as well. But the greatest of those is love. This morning, are you investing in the greatest things, the things that will last forever? Are you investing in your faith? Are you investing in your hope? Are you investing in love? Or are you spending most of your time investing things that will fade away, things that will disappear, things that will not mean anything in the future? It's far more important to invest in the things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Now verse 13, 11 through 13 says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see these things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything perfectly and clearly. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And then there's that verse again. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, 
and love. And the greatest of these is love. Paul is working on helping us gain perspective here in these verses. When I was a child, when I was an adult, where are you in your faith with God, in your relationship with Him? Paul is believing and assuming and writing as if we all understand that there is a growth here, that there's a maturity, that we start off as infants in our faith and we grow in our faith. So today, where are you? Are you still a child in your faith? Are you working actively to grow it, to develop, to deepen it, to know God more? And are you being matured? And as a mature adult in your faith, and if you are an adult, are you reproducing? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Adults are meant to reproduce. Are we not? God created us that way. So are we reproducing our faith? As Christians, we are called to go and make disciples. We are called to share our faith. Are you reproducing as a believer in whatever way God has equipped you? It's a good question. It starts with love. As Paul closes this chapter, he simply declares that faith hope, and love will last forever. So how do we apply this in our daily lives? And I think this is the most important part here because we need to know that we can apply it. We can do something with this. We can take it from the words of Scripture and actually live it out because that's what it's meant to do. What about your family, your coworkers, the people you act, re, or interact with every single day? How are you doing at showing the love of Christ to them. You see, we have great opportunity to practice love. And just as anything else that we do, it gets better with practice. When we need to learn something, when we need to get good at something, we practice it. How many things in your life have you invested hours, hours, days, months, years at perfecting? When I played soccer, I trained all the time, every single day for hours and hours, I grew up in New York. It snowed half the year. So half the year I was outside kicking the ball against the garage or, or I took our old swing set and turned it into a soccer net. I was out there kicking the ball every single day that I could. When I couldn't be outside, I was kicking the ball inside when my mom wasn't home. <laughs> I got a little Nerf soccer ball that I used that couldn't break things. But I had this hallway that when I was a kid looked a giant. Now it looks like this tiny little space. But it was amazing how I could practice in that little space every single day because I wanted to be the best that I could be. When I was in, in, competing in martial arts, I practiced all the time. Five days a week, I would train so that I could compete. But all those things are meaningless compared to our spiritual lives. We put a lot of effort into things that are meaningless, don't we? How much time are you putting into practicing what love really is? First with your spouses, with your children, with your family. Then with your, with your co-workers. What about your church family? How are you doing at practicing with them? I have to ask myself this question all the time. Am I the finished product? <laughs> 
think God laughs when they say that. No, not even close. I'm a work in progress. God is transforming me. He's changing me every day. He's remaking me in a new creation day by day, just like he's working on you. Are you letting him today work in your life? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Does that verse resonate with you this morning? Do you know that you are a new creation and what you were before is gone? You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to it. You don't have to keep drumming it back up. When God made you a new creation, He made you completely new. And all that stuff in your past is done and gone. He says He moved it as far as the east is from the west. It is gone. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're perfect in His eyes because Jesus is perfect in His eyes and Jesus lives in us. But we, it, we are a work in progress. Every day, it's a struggle. Every day, it takes hard work. Are you working every day to do that? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world any, any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect and pleasing will. Do you allow every day for God to transform your mind? Are you allowing the world to be removed so that there's more space for God? Are you lessening the amount of things you do that mirrors the world? It says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Are you still conforming to the world, or are you being transformed into the likeness of Christ? Are you being transformed into the person God wants you to be? Instead of being conformed, we need to be transformed today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Powerful, powerful words. Love can't be who we are unless God is doing the work in us. Are you letting Him do that each day? Now here's where it becomes real. Every single day. You see, we have a call in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. We shared this all through the month of February, and I hope you're holding on to it. If you don't, Stop by the connection table and you can grab one of these postcards and remind you of what we're talking about. But I want to read this verse, these verses to you. It says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Paul is teaching us here what those two, com- that what those two commandments are all about. This entire chapter is a blueprint. It is a roadmap. It is the definition of what it means to live out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. Paul is writing everything you need right here. 
So how are you doing at putting those together? How are you doing at loving God the way Paul just described? And how are you doing at loving each other all around you? First, God. Second, those who are on the team, the church, fellow believers right here. How are you doing at loving each other? And then how are you going from this place every day, every Sunday, for all week long where you really live? Because you don't live here. We come here, we celebrate, we enjoy the presence of God. But this isn't where we live. We live out there. How are you doing out there in living out God's love to the world? So I want to challenge you with these three things. Love God. Love our family. This is our family right here. Yeah, you have a family at home and and they're amazing and wonderful and you got to love them too. But this is your spiritual family right here. How are you doing at loving each other? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. And then love those who do not yet believe. And I say it that way because we believe that they need to know Jesus and that there is hope for them. So let faith, hope, and love rule your life every day. Let God change your perspective and let your view of the world be His view and be colored and shaped by His love. So as we close, our challenge today is very simple. Love God more every day. Love God more every single day. Love your family every day. Love them more every day. Cherish them. Never take them for granted. And practice every day the love that God tells us about in Corinthians on your family every day. See how well you do. That's usually the hardest place. Because if you can do it with your family, then you can love S's Park. And you can love the world around you. You can love your coworkers. You can love your neighbors. You can love the guy, the guy at the Safeway or the lady at the gas station or at the shop or at the visitor center. Find ways to grow every day in God's love so that each person you encounter will see Jesus in you. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up here as we kind of close out. And as they do, I want to ask you this question. Do you want to know this love? Do you want to know the love of Jesus like you've never known it before? Do you want to understand the love of God like you've never known before? Excuse me while I put everything back in place that I mixed up. Do you really want to know this love? Do you not know it? Do you want to know it for the very first time today? Or have you wandered from what God has for you? Have you forgotten of what He wants for you? Do you not know that love? We can all know that love today. Do you know that? We can love it, we can know it now. All we have to do is let Jesus into our lives. 
All we have to do is believe that he is the son of God and confess. All we have to do is recognize the love of God that he has for us. Accept it, believe it, confess it, and make it our own. This morning, is that your desire? I want you to be thinking about that as we sing this last song. Would you stand?
Pastor Michael would come up here and he's going to close us out in prayer. But before he does, back when I was in college in Toronto, I had an opportunity uh, because of the way in which we chose to do things to walk with a drug dealer and share the message of Christ with him. Um, I got the chance to share the message of Christ with another drug dealer and, and, and with their bodyguards and some pretty crazy experiences. I'd love to share those with you sometime if you want to know. But one of the guys that was on the street at the time. His, name, his nickname was Twos. And the following year, he came to Indiana Wesleyan and was able to get a, a degree there because of people on our team who were willing to love him instead of look at him just as someone to throw a track at. His life was transformed because somebody showed him that they loved him. Somebody from America who had no reason other than Jesus to love him. That's the power of love this morning. This morning, do you need to experience that love of Jesus for yourself? Do you need to know that love this morning like you've never known it before? If you do, I would encourage you to pray this prayer with me. It's very simple. Dear Jesus, I know... I've made a mess of my life and I can't keep doing things the way I've done them. I desperately want to know you and to know your love. This morning I confess that you are this, my Savior, that you are Jesus, the Son of God, and you died for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins today. I accept you into my life and I believe in you as my Savior. My life is yours today. Do with it as you desire. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed this prayer this morning, I would encourage you to come and talk to Pastor Michael or I. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you more because we love you and we want to see you love Jesus. Pastor Michael. Thanks, Aaron. Let's give glory to God for Aaron, can we? Awesome, awesome. And uh, we will be here to pray for you on your way out. Hope you'll take time to enjoy each other. But, but let the Lord draw you uh, as, as he will. I love, love, love to, uh, to bless you. So would you receive this blessing? You are no longer the same. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And though sometimes you look at yourself and it's like, uh-oh, oh no. I see the old me still. At that point, going forward, you're going to look to Jesus and you're going to say, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave me where I was, but that you put me on a path to becoming like you. And so today I turn that area of my life over to you. 
trusting that you're going to complete the work that you started until your return. I just pray that the imagery of you being a new creation, a living testimony, that everyone who will can become friends with God through Jesus Christ. That's what I pray for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Enjoy each other. Oh.